Welcome to So What Else. My name is Caitlin Elliott and I love talking to people. I love hearing people's stories, the big important things they've been through, and also the random stuff. We're going to talk about it all here. This podcast is just me talking with fascinating people so that we can all hear what they have to share with the world. So what else? Hey guys, this week on the podcast, we have Marisol Rodriguez. She is the founder and executive director of Renew Life Center, which is a center that seeks to equip single moms with the concepts and skills that they need in order to overcome generational poverty. Marisol's personal story is really powerful and it's really beautiful how her personal story led her into the work that she does today. So stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of So What Else. Today, I'm here with Marisol Rodriguez, who I think I've known my whole life. I think I've like literally known you my entire life. So it's really cool that you get to be on the podcast. Why don't you say hi to everybody and just kind of introduce yourself? Hello, everyone. My name is Marisol Rodriguez. And um, yeah, I've known Caitlin 28 years. I don't know how old she is. So I'm 32. All right. So when uh, I was four, um, um, <laughs> I've been going to the crossing that long and uh, I'm a mom of four adult children. I'm glad to say adult children now. Yes. That part <laughs> well, kind of, it's never really over. And um, I'm the co-founder and executive director of Renew Life Center, a nonprofit in Patterson that we're going to talk about later today. And I'm a wife to an awesome guy named Fernando. Yes. And you're an author now. Oh, yes. I'm an author now. I'm not used to that yet. Yes. And we're going to talk about your book. So that's awesome. So yeah, we know each other through my dad's church in Livingston. And uh, I grew up like with your kids and stuff like that. And your daughter, Sarah, just got married. Got married a few days ago. And Uh, it was wonderful. You know, a little a COVID twist, you yeah. know, not all the people I wish were there. Actually, nobody I w- <laughs> was uh, there. Yeah, right. I really wish was there it was so such a small wedding, mm-hmm. but it was absolutely wonderful. Oh, it- good. She looked so beautiful as always, but that's so sweet. I mean, it looked so nice. Did you guys have a good time? We had a great time. Uh, that's so nice. That's exciting. How did she meet her husband? She met him serving on the New York City Relief Bus. So they met during- right. They met during COVID. It's such a great story because she's a dancer and living in New York City that's out of work because of COVID lockdown. He's a dancer living in New York City because of COVID lockdown. And they both get reached out to by New York City Relief saying, hey, you know, um, people are backing out of their volunteerships because they're afraid of COVID. And we're Mm -hmm. just looking for young people who are supposedly the least affected by COVID to come out and serve. And they both went. And they, and met. they met and they fell in love and now they're married. Yes. That's All such a great story. A All within a year. <laughs> wow. I love that. That's cool. See oh. people, that's why you should go out and serve. You might exactly. meet your future spouse. There that's you go. Right. Go serve in ministry. You never know. <laughs> you know, all you single ladies, right? Why are you single? You're not serving. <laughs> totally. Get out there. The relief bus needs you. I love it. That's awesome. All right. So I just in the last two weeks, read your book. It's called Life After Yes. It just came out and we'll link to it in the notes and all that stuff. But um, before we get into the true like meat of the book and the uh, and Renew Life Center that you run, I was really interested in the book. You shared a lot about your own personal story, things that I obviously didn't have any idea about, you know, all the years that I've known you. And so I would love for you to start off and just kind of share your story with us before we kind of get into all your work with Renew and things like that. Your childhood, 
first of all, to me, I, I, I was surprised by that, you know, just a lot of the things that you went through. I would love it if you would share that with us. Yeah, it's like one of the, we all know this, you know, we meet people now and we see them at face value and we kind of have this assumption on people when we look at them that, and oftentimes, I mean, we'll do this. We'll like, oh, she had a perfect life or, mm-hmm. you know, everything was always good or everything goes so smoothly for Marisol, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, but, yeah. you know, backstory is always different. So I was born to a single mother in Puerto Rico. So I was born in, in Puerto Rico and my mother was a woman who was, I mean, orphaned by nine, never mm-hmm. went to school. I mean, she knew how to read and write and she learned to do that on her own. And, and so, but she was barely, you know, she was barely proficient at those mm-hmm. things. But so, she, so she's not educated. She's a single woman, she's orphaned. So there's not much upraising or, or raising her up, you know? Yeah. So she kind of fell into a pattern that is the pattern I see today with the women I serve, which is why the backstory is so important is that you become dependent on men to survive, you know? So if you don't, if you barely know how to read or write, you have absolutely no skill. You never went to school. How do you survive? Right. And, um, and especially back in my mom had me very late in life. So Mm. we're talking back in the 1950s. And, and 60s in, in, in Puerto Rico, in the mountains of Puerto Rico. So um, she didn't have many opportunities and many choices. So, so she ends up, you know, getting into a relationship with man and every woman that does that, not every, almost every, you really think it's for real and forever mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. it's not, right? Yeah. And then you're a single mom with one kid and then someone else comes along and this guy's for real and forever and it's not. And now you have maybe four kids and, Uh. and it, it goes on like that. And it's something that when you don't know the backstory, it's so easy to judge it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've done it. And the Lord convicted me of that at the center women come in. I'm like, Oh, here she is again, pregnant Mm -hmm. again, new man, new baby, you know? Well, you know, why? Mm -hmm do we ever stop to consider the why and not only consider it, but once you know the why, how do you insert yourself into this person's life? So it doesn't have to be that way. So anyway, so, um, so that was my mother's life. And then my, my father came into her life and again, you know, he's not the greatest guy, but you know, I talk about it in the book when you live in high poverty neighborhoods, high poverty neighborhoods are usually high crime neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And when you have five daughters and you live in a high crime neighborhood, um, not only do you want someone to provide a roof over your head, but you want somebody to help you feel safe. Mm-hmm. So um, along comes my dad who can offer her protection because he's, mm-hmm. he's one of the bad boys yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, of the area and nobody's right. going to mess with his woman and his children or, or and her children. So yeah. that was a sense of protection, but it came at a price because he was a violent man. Mm-hmm. Um, he was addicted to drugs. And, um, and yeah, so it was pretty rough for her. Um, so uh, until, you know, someone came and told her about Jesus. Mm. So yeah. this was all in Puerto Rico or had you guys moved here? Well, that was all in Puerto Rico. We moved okay. to the United States. I was about two years old. Okay. Okay. I was about two years old. And so you said he was a violent man. So I'm assuming this kind of happened in the home as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really like violence by intimidation, like verbal abuse. Like one Mm -hmm. thing I can say that he never actually struck my mother, but he, he threatened to often Mm -hmm. and he would, you know, do things that would go just far enough to scare the bejeebies out of you and then stop, you know, and that's how he kept her in line. That's how he Mm -hmm. kept everybody in line. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
and it, it, it's it's so sad and it, so i wish this was an old story yeah you know, like oh that was 50 years ago in the olden days but this is happening today mm -hmm. yeah you know? absolutely and women are stuck in these relationships and they're dealing with um physical abuse verbal abuse emotional abuse why because it provides a uh, roof over the head for her and her children. It provides food on the table. Mm -hmm. um, and unless we're prepared to offer an alternative, they're stuck there. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty much what happened to my mom and to us. And you really don't see a way out. You kind of mm -hmm. think, well, well, this is life. And you know, yeah, you deal. An incredible thing about your story was that your local church that your mom was involved in essentially came in and rescued her. Well, from yeah. that marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is that this was a tiny storefront church in Newark. I mean, no big funds. The pastor yeah. was a, was bivocational, as they say. So he had a full-time job during the day. Wow. He served on nights and the weekend. So it wasn't really a much about money. It was about involvement, you know? Yeah. And, and as the, um, when we came, you know, to the U S and she found this little storefront church in Newark, um, I, I affectionately call it the welfare church. <laughs> Everybody in that church was in the same situation we were. Yeah. You had a couple of middle-class families, but generally speaking, it wasn't much of a budget to talk about, yeah. but it was the community and it was the relationships and the women gathered around her and taught her about, you know, um, applying for social services and, mm -hmm. and how to, you know, um, how to find assistance elsewhere. So she wasn't dependent on him. And then, so while the women worked on telling her about those things, then the pastor's now figuring out how can we get this man out of the house, a man that we know is violent and big trouble. So he's not going to go quietly. So it was quite a, um, it was quite a scary moment, but it, you know, it had to go down. <laughs> yeah. So she was able to leave him and then she raised you guys on her own. And then she raised us on her own. Yeah. And we all grew up on public assistance, you know, welfare, yeah. food stamps and, and all of those things. And and that's why I tell people that those programs are awesome and they're very important. Unfortunately, the problem is, is when you get stuck on that. Yeah. But luckily, um, my mother, the church we grew up in, you know, we, we knew that that was a temporary assistance. We knew that mm -hmm. we were taught that that's not the way to live. So all eight of her children grew up to be working mm -hmm. adults, you know, that never, ever had to spend time on, yeah. on any of those assistance programs. But what we see today is this generational thing where yeah. it's just going on. You got three, five, 10 generations of people growing up on public assistance. So yeah, what we have to figure out what changes that. Totally, totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when I first graduated college, you know, I did teach for America. And so I worked in a, a low income school for three years. And that's something that we talked about a lot, right? Is that a lot of these kids, you know, they don't know any different, you know, like they don't, they, what they're seeing at home isn't modeling, you know, that they could go to college, they could get a job and they could provide and they could have opportunities. They're not seeing that modeled. But what I love that you said is that the church came in and it wasn't about money. It's not like there was some kind of like big spenders in the church that were like, you know what we're going to do? We see this woman, she's struggling. Let's just like throw a bunch of money at, at the problem and fix it. And I'm not saying money can't solve any problems. <laughs> like, yes, please donate to good causes but i love how you said it was about the involvement you know like if people in a church are willing to like really step up for each other they can make a huge difference and it obviously changed 
the course of your life, your siblings' lives, your mom. And I think that that's beautiful. So then take me a little further down the line. So then you also talk in the book about your first marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, they say that you end up marrying like your parents, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, my dad was a pretty difficult guy, so it was easy not to pick him, but I picked picked an improved version of him. (laughs) You know, he didn't drink, he didn't do drugs, but he was verbally abusive too. And and Mm -hmm. unfortunately, I didn't catch on to that. Um, until we were married. And mm-hmm. it was the kind of thing. And there was a cultural difference, too. And, um, you know, marrying someone from another culture sometimes seems very romantic and exotic. Mm-hmm. And, and it is. But yeah. then you get you get hit with these cultural differences that are important. And I know I told my kids, listen, being married is hard enough. Yeah. Without adding cultural expectations and differences, you know, and that really and then when it's a culture that is really like male dominated, like mm-hmm. the man rules and you just follow along and don't complain. And so, yeah, it was quite difficult. And as you could tell, I'm not really a wallflower. So he kind of picked the wrong person to, to marry if that's how you want it to be, because, you know, my mother was a very quiet, humble woman and mm-hmm. she took everything you threw at her, but that's not me. Mm-hmm. So it was a very, um, oh my gosh, it was an exhausting marriage because it was just constant struggle you know, mm-hmm. him trying to dominate me and put me in my place and me standing up for myself saying no, you know, yeah. that's not going to happen. So it was exhausting. Yeah. And so then you also talk about how you had decided like, okay, I want to leave. Like I, I got, I want to get away from this guy. So you were setting money aside and you had mm-hmm. gotten like a bunch of money set aside and you were feeling like you were ready to leave. And then yeah. you realized you were pregnant with your daughter. Yes. Wow. What was that I, like? That was, you know, um, that was really hard. And, and it, it's funny when you look back at your life and you, you know, hindsight is 2020, as they say, mm-hmm. but I see how every single experience in my life, God uses today. Mm-hmm. So when I'm sitting across from a woman who's considering an abortion, mm-hmm. uh, I thank God I never went all the way, but I certainly know exactly how she feels. I know mm-hmm. that sense of panic, you're drowning, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, it's this sense of, you know, the two of you can't come out of this alive. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. something's going to die. Your dream's going to die. Your future's going to die. You know, your, your career, it, this baby is going to take something from you. Yeah. And it's a sense of panic. And I call it the, my black night of the soul, because it was like, all I saw was like everything. It's like the lights went out, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's a very scary feeling. And I could just describe it as, as a panic and, you really feel, I think I said this in the book. It's like, all I could think about was death. It was like, yeah. you know, either my future's dying or I'm yeah. dying or this baby's dying. Something's dying here, but it, yeah. you can't have it all kind of a thing. Totally. You know, um, it's a pretty rough place to be, but I thank God um, for the experience because it helps me really understand. Like when someone sits in front of me and goes, yeah, but, but you don't know. I'm like, oh yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yes, I do know what it feels like when you think that that is the only way out. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, um, how God was obviously so uniquely preparing you for what he had for you in the future. You know, like what you went through clearly was preparing you um, for what you were going to do, you know, with your life for his purpose that he has for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But okay, so basically, so you found out you were pregnant with her, you were considering abortion, you obviously decided not to go through with it. And, you know, obviously it goes into more detail in the book, but eventually you were, you were able to separate from your husband. 
Um, but then you were thrown into kind of like a life of poverty again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about this everywhere I go. I talk, I talk to people about um, situational and generational poverty because they're mm -hmm. two very distinct different things. And I come across a lot of people that say to me, oh, I, I was poor. Like, no, you weren't. Right. <laughs> like you, like the poverty, I'm talking about generational poverty in the book, right? Yeah. Um, so I overcame generational poverty with, you know, the support of the people in my church, mm -hmm. you know, that helped me go into a career path. Um, but then I was thrown into situational poverty and situational poverty is when you're in poverty because of a life event. It mm -hmm. could be an illness, you know, you rack up medical bills, you go bankrupt. It could be, you get laid off, you get divorced. Mm -hmm. So um, a divorce really has a way of pulling a rug out under you, right? Financial mm -hmm. and everything, especially when you're divorcing a man who, um, who can be very vindictive and, yeah. you know, who's very angry at you for, for not falling in line. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's like, it, so I would, now I'm thrown into situational poverty. Mm -hmm. Now the, the, the important thing is that, you know, that fall was, it was really like a pride thing for me too. Again, another lesson from God, you know, how he teaches mm -hmm. us. He, um, because I was very proud of myself, of my accomplishments and where yeah. I was and, you know, and I get to look at other, um, you know, people I know or family members that can look at them down my nose, you know, like, well, mm -hmm. I did it, you know, just, mm -hmm. you know, just mm -hmm. do it. Do look it, at right? me. Yeah, I got yeah. It together. Yeah. So, so that was um, another um, learning experience. But the important and the this distinction between the two is that though I was thrown back into poverty, I still had an education, a skill set. Mm -hmm. I had friends in the industry. I had a friend who was a, a job recruiter, you know, so now I'm not starting from ground zero. Right. You were connected. I'm connected. Um, I have a whole different set of social skills. Mm -hmm. So it's a whole different thing. And it was hard for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was like four years, I think, that it yeah. took me to get on my feet. I mean, I couldn't buy a pack of 25 cent juicy fruit gum. Mm -hmm. My budget was so tight. It was like, put it back. You need those 25 mm -hmm. cents, you know? And it was really hard. And then to think about the women I'm serving that have none of that. Yeah. They don't have the job skills. They don't have the education. They don't have the connections. They don't get the child support Yeah. You know that I was eventually able to get. So um, we, we really have no idea of, of the struggle that is going on out there in our um, low income communities. And, yeah. and, in, and in my, you know, my little niche in life is those women who choose life. You know, yeah, yeah. those women who are spending that, you know, they have that black night that like I had and yeah. are seeing the only way out is not to have this baby. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and the choices she has to make are very different than the choices you and I would have to make like today. So how do we come around them and give them the support where they could say yes to life and yes to their future? You know, it's not either. Yes. Or. I love that. I love how you talk about that a lot in the book and about how you don't have to pick, right? Like if you are faced with a time where you feel like I have no choice but to abort this baby, you talk a lot about how it doesn't have to be that you like have your baby and give up your entire life or you have your life and have to abort your baby. There are other options and that's what Renew Life Center is and that's what we're going to get into. So all right. So basically you were eventually, like you said, able to get yourself back on your feet. And I know that you have, your background is in IT, but you found yourself <laughs> working at pregnancy centers, basically. 
Yeah. So <laughs> how did that, how did you start working at pregnancy centers? Before you answer that question first, can you explain to people what is a pregnancy center? If they don't know what I mean by that. So a pregnancy resource center is a ministry. They're, they're, they're Christian ministries and their goal is to um, lovingly guide women mm-hmm. to make life affirming choices. And that's actually the, I think, part of the mission statement for Lighthouse Pregnancy Center, the pregnancy center I'm connected with now. Um, so a pregnancy center wants to meet a woman in her time of crisis and um, and give her a space where she can talk things out. You know, like my battle when I was thinking of abortion was in my head, yeah. you know, um, and it would have been great to go to a pregnancy center. But, you know, unfortunately, I, I didn't even know they existed. But, right. you know, to give a woman a space where she can have a sounding board, hear herself say things out loud, you know, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, you know, women aren't even aware of the resources they do already have because you're in a sense of panic, right? So a pregnancy center is a center where a woman goes, she'll get a free pregnancy test. If it's positive, they'll give her a free ultrasound to confirm the pregnancy, Mm -hmm. to make sure it's viable, Mm -hmm. and to also give her an idea how far along she is. Mm -hmm. And also it's her first glimpse at a baby. So it it, it moves from something abstract, like this Mm -hmm. abstract problem, which is so easy to get rid of, Yep. It, it shifts to something that is real mm-hmm. that you see with your eyes and then you hear that heartbeat with your ears and, yeah. and that changes everything. So, um, and then pregnancy centers also support them with, um, prenatal classes, mm-hmm. parenting classes, material support, and they're really there for, for a woman for, um, throughout her pregnancy and usually up until the baby's first year. Okay. All right. So, A sharp criticism that a lot of people who are pro-life get, which is understandable, right, is that there are people um, that say, you know, people who are pro-life, all they care about is just like getting the baby born, but they have no regard for then what kind of life that child is going to be born into or what kind of mother that child is going to have or father or the opportunities that they're going to have. There's no regard for their quality of life. Mm -hmm. And so again, that leads us into what Renew Life Center does. But I love how, and we're gonna get to exactly what it does, but I love how in your book, Life After Yes, you say, Oftentimes our pro-life view, people who identify as being pro-life, sometimes our view is very narrow. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, I know it was narrow for me um, and it shouldn't have been because of my life experience, right? But um, I found myself serving in a pregnancy center for 10 years, you know, um, first as a volunteer and um, which was very difficult for me to volunteer because I knew that I had considered abortion at one point. Yeah. So it was like, um, when I was offered the opportunity to volunteer, I would, I didn't even have a fully committed pro-life view. I was going Mm -hmm. to church and I was a Christian, but my view was, well, you know, that's between them and God, you know, Mm -hmm. I call it the cop out, you know, (laughs) not taking a stand, you know, well, I think it's wrong. I wouldn't do it, but it's between her and God. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, what's my feeling when I was approached to volunteer and, um, it's a whole other story, how God convinced me to do it because I didn't have the conviction. I actually became a pro-life Christian while I was serving at the pregnancy center. Wow. Kind of weird. Yeah. You'd have to be that way going in. But, um, but so what happens is that, you know, when, when you see a woman at a pregnancy center, you're seeing a sliver of her life, a, Mm -hmm. a slice and it's her 
her um, conflict or, you know, her issue with the pregnancy. And if that's the part of life you're seeing, you're seeing the part of the life that has to do with her and the baby and the decision. But there's a whole other, there's a whole lot of life outside of that topic. And that, you know, there's her education, there's her future career or, or job or whatever, there's future relationships, there's, you know, family support or lack of family support. So there's so much in her life and we're only looking at part of it. And of course, and it's not intentional because if, if you and I right now thought of, you know, you, your daughters or babies, you know, mm-hmm. but if you thought of your daughter ever getting pregnant as a teen or a young adult, I know that you're going to roll up your sleeves and you're going to say, all right, this, this doesn't end everything. Correct. Yeah. Um, I'll rearrange my schedule. You finish school. I'll stay with the baby. And mm-hmm. we would do whatever it takes to ensure that our daughter can choose life and a future. Yes. What happens when you don't have that? Right. So this is what I'm seeing is that we're not walking in their shoes. We're looking at their experience through our lens. Yeah. My lens has a lot of resources and options. Yep. Hers doesn't. So, and it, it like, it's not because, you know, we don't want a broader view. It's, it's just because we don't know. And that's yeah. the reason I wrote the book. So people will know, you know, yeah. that there's so much outside, you know, like even now during COVID, a lot of people would say things like, um, well, why doesn't she go to school online? I'm mm. like, well, first you need internet access yes. <laughs> and then you need a computer. For us, that is so basic. Yeah. That is so basic. And to think that I know dozens of women who have neither. Of course. Yeah. But people that are like, oh, they don't? No, mm-hmm. they don't, you know? So, you know, so so that's why the view is narrow is because we're looking at them through our lens and our personal experience. And uh, unless you grew up in poverty yourself, but then I did, and I didn't see it either. Yeah. yeah. Didn't see it either. You know, I don't know. We just become hyper-focused or totally. maybe we become goal oriented mm-hmm. and the goal is to save, you know, um, the baby and to provide support. I just never knew how much need there was until I know you'll bring it up. But until I got that email. Yeah. So tell me about that email. I want to go right into that. So you were working at a pregnancy center and, for a while, and then you received an email that basically rocked your world. Right. Right. Um, and I don't know, hindsight again, I feel even silly saying it, but I'm, you know, I'm going to work. Like I, I love my work that I do in pro-life ministry or at renew it's, you know, how they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life kind of yeah. a thing. So it's like, I love work. Mm-hmm. And I'm at work. I'm happy as a bumblebee. I'm I'm excited to see what the Lord's gonna do today and who's gonna mm-hmm. bring and will a baby be saved? Everything is yeah. like, what's gonna happen today? And I open my email and I get this email from a woman who had visited the center who was abortion-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that she was a college, she had a college degree, a four-year degree. I knew she had a full-time job mm-hmm. in in teaching, you know, and that's a career path job. And um her email like really pulled out the rug under me because I didn't, I was surprised to see how lonely she was in the decision that she made. Mm-hmm. Um, and she didn't say this word for word, but you could read it in her email. She felt um, abandoned. She said in her email, you know, I was considering an abortion until I went there and, and now I, I don't see how I can continue, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that one thing that Christians forget is that a woman has to say yes to life more than once. Yes. All right. So she had come into your center and she was like ready to get an abortion, but then you guys had counseled with her and whatever. And she had decided, okay, I'm going to keep this baby. Right. And then months into her pregnancy, she was regretting that decision to keep the baby. She was regretting it. And that horrified me. I mean, 
it horrified me because a, I felt responsible. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And B it's like, I dropped the ball. It's like, what, what something's missing here, you know? And, um, and, and the scarier part was that she was, you know, um, education wise and career wise and financially so far ahead from my other clients that I'm like, if she's struggling, what's happened to the rest of them? Right. So like how many women are walking in here, they're choosing life for their baby. And we're like, yay, throwing a party. Meanwhile, a few months down the road, they're like, I don't know, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. I feel like I have no support. I'm alone. Right. Right. And, and I, the reason that Armenia was able to write that email, she was articulate. Yeah. Yes. And she had internet. Yeah. Hello. And a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and she said she slept with the laptop on her chest because Mm. she was hoping I was, she was waiting for the ding or the, I don't know, you got mail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but she was waiting for a response. And, and when I read that, I felt just so convicted. Yeah. I, I I mean, I, I called my husband and I read him the email and I, I could, I don't think I could have kept it together. I felt like, I don't know. You know what? I was like, what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of felt like here we are feeling like, yay, like this woman decided to keep her baby. And now I find out like she feels totally alone, totally unsupported. Like what we got to change something. Yes. Yes. We got to change something. We got to, we have to walk the talk. And and here's the thing. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because we're always looking for ministry opportunities. What, Mm -hmm. what does the church want more than anything else? Ministry opportunities, bringing the lost in, you know, we're like, well, they're there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the city's full of them, you know, opportunities to serve women in this moment that they need it. And it's important to serve them, you know, out of love. And if they come to know the Lord, that's an awesome bonus, you know, yeah. and of course, you know, we get to share the gospel and things like that, but we do it out of love because, um, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know? All right. So this email kind of rocked your world. It made you realize like things need to change. And Basically, the idea for Renew Life Center was sort of birthed out of that email. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was. So I get the email and, um, you know, I show it to my husband. I call the young woman right away. We met. I made sure she got her needs met. Mm-hmm. But um, I would have, to, you know, in hindsight now, I, I was able to help her with material things, but she needed more than material things. She yeah. needed emotional support. She needed someone to walk alongside her in this journey. Mm-hmm. I neither had the staff to do that, nor right. the volunteers to do that. And I couldn't do it myself because I'm running the center. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I was able to ease, I guess, a bit her, her stress and her, you know, pain, but I was not able to meet her fully, mm. you know, yeah. And um, that makes me sad when I think about that. And we're still friends, you know, we still friends yeah. with talk and, and um, yeah. So I just wish that I would have, I would have seen even a broader view than that. I saw all the physical she, needs she had, but I didn't right. see the spiritual need. I didn't see the emotional need. I figured, right. oh, she's got stuff now. She'll be fine. Mm. You know, um, there's just a lot. Yeah. All right. So tell us what exactly is Renew? And how did it exactly come into existence? Okay, so I get the email, I tuck it away in my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, for years, I have been going to the um, leadership summit that mm-hmm. the Crossing Church either used to take a team of people to another church to do it, and then we started yeah. doing it. And so the, mm-hmm. the the leadership summit is our is at our church, and um, I've always loved <laughs> the leadership summit. Mm-hmm. It's always inspired me and and really filled me. 
But this one particular year, um, wow, it just really, it was a one-two punch to the gut that, you know, that email, it's, it's not just supposed to stay hidden. I need to share that. Mm-hmm. And I did, I had taken a team of my volunteers from the pregnancy center to the leadership summit. And during a break, we went downstairs to what used to be the library. Mm-hmm. And I said, ladies, can I read something to you? Cause I still had it saved on my phone that I think I got that in 2004 or something. Oh, wow. like I still have that email saved. Mm-hmm. So I read them. I read my team, the email and they all had the same reaction I did. And, mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, so, um, we have to step out and courage. And mm-hmm. this is a gap that is existing here. There's a need that needs to be filled. And I strongly believe that it should be filled by the church, capital C church, mm-hmm. um, not by government. You know, yeah. those programs are awesome. Let's take advantage of them when we need them, but it's really not the government's job mm-hmm. to do this work. Um, they've been doing it for how long and it doesn't work. Right, right, right. obviously, poverty yeah. Poverty gets bigger mm-hmm. and poverty is not solved. So because it requires also like a spiritual transformation. But anyway, so I share with the ladies about um, this email and the, the vision I have for, for a center. I, you know, we would describe it as a pregnancy center plus. Mm-hmm. So it's a pregnancy center. You do everything a pregnancy center does. Plus you also focus on her future, mm, you yeah. know? You help her educationally, you know, like we say, like we want to inspire women to believe that they can choose life and choose their future, choose yeah. life and choose college, choose mm-hmm. life and choose the career. Yeah. You know, you need, you need the support system to do that. So that's what Renew Life Center was, was starting to become. And then, you know, God orchestrates everything so perfectly and in timing. And I just happened to do this when our church is just happening to have a capital campaign and they want to have a ministry component to it. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, how God brings things together. is just absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the key is just saying yes to what he's prompting you to do in your heart. You know, I'm sure at some point you had to say yes to this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Rolling around in your head for a while. Absolutely. Or you took that step of faith and you mm-hmm. say, you know what, um, I'm going to take that step of faith. And that's what Renew Life Center has been from beginning to now is the step of faith to share the email, the step of faith to tell my pastor about it, the step mm-hmm. of faith of the, you know, where the funds coming from and the, here they are, you know, yeah, yeah. we've been there six years and God has provided every single thing we need. Mm. And, um, it's just, uh, you know, he's faithful, you know, wow. he's faithful. So where are you guys located? So we're located in Patterson right now, and we work in collaboration with Lighthouse Pregnancy Resource Center because our our target um, audience or our target client is that woman who has said yes. So, you know, we're partnering with them and, you know, our dream, our vision is to have this type of a component with every pregnancy center. Right. Okay. So you are basically taking the work of the pregnancy center and just taking it further taking it further. Yeah. So, so we, so renew life center itself does nothing um, like a pregnancy center does. Meaning we don't do pregnancy tests. We don't do ultrasounds. Lighthouse does that. Mm-hmm. They're take, they do what pregnancy centers do best. Right. right. And that's that. But then they refer the women to renew life center, women that they see mm-hmm. that are, you know, that want more out of life that, mm-hmm. you know, have these hopes and these dreams that, you know, they feel that this pregnancy is conflicting with mm-hmm. that. 
And they're like, well, hey, we could refer you to this group and they take you the rest of the way. That's amazing. So um, one of the biggest parts of the program at Renew is the Getting Ahead program. Can you tell us what that is? Well, it's a, the Getting Ahead Workshop is our foundational program simply because the, the people we are targeting are folks from generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And when you come from generational poverty, there's a huge knowledge gap. Yeah. So, you know, like I grew up in generational poverty because my mother never went to school and her parents never went to school and so forth down the line. So you're raised um, with very good set of survival skills. Mm-hmm. All right. So, you know, when you grow up in poverty, you just know, you just know how to survive and, you know, you do it very well. So I always say, you know, when the stuff hits the fan, I want to be with somebody in poverty because they know how to survive totally. without electricity, without gas, without power, without a car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Without, without your basic necessities, because you, you, you just, you get very creative. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're very well equipped with survival skills, but survival skills do not serve you on a college campus. Mm-hmm. And it does not serve you in a professional job. Mm-hmm. So you always feel like a fish out of water. And I remember feeling like a fish out of water in college. You know, I remember feeling like a fish out of water when I first walked into a professional building because everything was different from yeah. way from how I knew it. And, um, and so getting ahead, the getting ahead workshop, what it does is it fills in that knowledge gap. It takes people who are only equipped with survival skills and it mm-hmm. teaches them the skill set you need to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the way I explain it to folks is when you grow up in a middle income family, there's a skill set you learn that is not really taught. It's more caught, you know, yeah. like yeah. you see your dad or your mom get up every day and go to work. Yep. You see, you see, you see your family doing things, maybe balancing the checkbook or maybe writing yeah. out the bills. But what happens when you grow up in a place where that never happens? Right. You know, you, no one can help you with homework. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. or maybe your parents don't even speak the language. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge knowledge gap between those that are generationally poor and the rest of the world. And you can have a four-year degree. I, I can't tell you how many women come to my center with multiple degrees. Mm. multiple degrees and they're still stuck in poverty Mm. because those degrees without the additional information and the additional skill set for the professional world it doesn't serve you yeah you know you're always at a disadvantage so it's like playing a board game and nobody told you the rules Mm. yeah okay so basically to back it up a little bit, women will come into a pregnancy center, and in your case, in Lighthouse at Lighthouse Pregnancy Center, when they're considering an abortion, and Lighthouse Pregnancy Center will do the free pregnancy test, the ultrasound, counsel with them, and if they choose life for their baby, if they choose, I want to keep this baby, and if they're you know expressing a desire for for more, right? Like they want they want to break these gaps. Uh, they want to break these, you know, patterns in their family and they want to, you know, provide for their baby. Lighthouse will then refer them to Renew, to you guys. And so then you will do like a pretty extensive interview process and then women can get into this getting ahead program. That's pretty intense, right? It's not like this is just like sitting back. No, it is pretty intense. Um, and, and we do a really thorough interview process because, um, it's not for everybody. Number one. And number two, it's not helping people out of poverty is not cheap. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Um, it's it's labor intensive. It's there's the materials we have to buy. It's a lengthy workshop. It's like um, 
um, how many, I think it's 20 sessions or 10 weeks wow, or something yeah. like that. So this is not an overnight fix. It's a right. long, it's a long commitment. So, so, so yeah, so the, 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 you start off with this getting ahead workshop that really it's like, it's like a sledgehammer to poverty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when you, when you come from poverty, you, you know, you have a mindset, you have a paradigm that this is how the world works. And you take that everywhere you go. Well, we take that and we smash it. We're like, well, that's how the poverty world world works, but that's not how the professional or academic world works. Mm -hmm. They have a different way of looking at life. They have a different paradigm. So, um, so the getting ahead workshop really just knocks down those barriers and shows them how other people think, live and thrive so that they can apply those ideas to their life, you know, and one simple, um, you know, one of the simple things we teach that makes a big difference is time. It's yeah. like, you know, every, every culture or, or economic group views time differently. If you come from poverty, time is time. Mm-hmm. I got plenty of it. You know, I wait for the bus. I wait online. You just, you spend your life waiting and time just flies and it's that, but you, when you come from middle-class and above oh, yeah. time is money, right. Yep. And you want to be respectful of people's time, mm-hmm. you know, um, if you tell somebody in poverty, I want to be respectful of your time, they translate that as I'm in a hurry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? So, so when we tell them when, you know, it's like almost knowing like the secret rules of something. So things like, you know, time is important to people who are, you know, in, in achievement minded, you know, time is important. So if you have a mentor and your mentor says, we're going to meet at 10, please be there five to 10. Yeah. Nobody taught them that. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember the first time when I was in a professional world, I had a staff meeting at nine and I get there at nine. And my boss says, well, now that Marisol's here, we could start. You're like, what? <laughs> and, you said nine. <laughs> and I said, wait, you said nine. And he goes, if you're not five minutes early, you're 10 minutes late. Ooh. I was like, oh, they like, like who knows these secrets? You know, right, it's, right. It's to me, it was a secret. I'm like, I, so smart me says, well, if you wanted an eight fifty five meeting, you should have called an eight fifty five meeting. <laughs> but you know, we're very literal. So, so we wanted to, to just to show them not that the way you see the world is wrong. Mm-hmm. It's just that in order to succeed and achieve, you need to have another paradigm as well. So mm-hmm. we're not asking you to throw away your survival skill set. It may come in handy someday. We want you to be almost like bilingual. You know two languages, you can know two different skill sets. And yeah. you apply these in Patterson. When you're walking down the streets of Patterson, you want your survival skills. Yeah. But when you leave that and you're at your job in Livingston, Short Hills, or mm-hmm. anywhere else, you know, now you're going to use your other skill set. And um, that's what we're teaching them. We're teaching them how to operate in um, the academic and professional world and, and how the lenses through which you see your life. There's so many aspects of life that we want them to have a, a better view of parenting, mm-hmm. marriage, family structure, money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Wow. It's a- and so then you'll connect these women with a mentor. Yeah, that's Tell really about that. 
that's really a, the one of the most important parts because after you have all this information and the skill set, you have to practice it. Yeah. If you can't practice it, um, it just evaporates. It's just ideas and thoughts, and they go in one ear, they go in another. So we we pair them with a mentor, and um, we hope that our mentors create like long lasting relationships with these women. Like, you know, we don't make them commit to a lifetime, but we would love it if it naturally became you know, a really long-term relationship where, where you're not just helping her, you're her friend. Yeah. You know? And, um, and I love it when it's people from two different worlds, because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I think we grow better when we're with people that are nothing like us, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you get to um, learn and exchange ideas on how different people see the world. So the mentor now helps her practice the new, her new language skills. Mm-hmm. We want people to speak um, formal English as opposed mm-hmm. to slang or other, you know. Um, so, and just how to do, you know, a lot of women panic. They're like, well, I don't know if I could be a mentor. I don't know what I can do. Well, listen, can you help someone fill out an application? Mm-hmm. The simple things are really big for them, yeah. you know, um, helping them fill out an application, helping them fill out a college application. And if you don't know, just sitting next to her while the both of you figure it out together. Totally. Right. Is a huge help. Helping, helping her study for her driver's test. Yeah. um, Helping her go through Indeed and find a job match or submit a resume. There's just so many areas. Whatever um, you've done to help your kids get into preschool, how do you apply for preschool? You know, whatever skill set you've done, I promise you, there's things you've done for your family and for yourself. There's someone out there who's afraid to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, A quote from your book that I really loved is that you said, if we care about the pro-life issue, we have to care about poverty, period. Yeah. They are inextricably linked. And I just really, really love that because it goes back to what we talked about before, that it's easy sometimes um, for people to say like, oh yeah, like I'm pro-life, like I want the babies like to live, you know? And that's good, that is wonderful, but it's not enough right? Mm-hmm. Like that, it, it has to go further than that. And that's what I loved about this is how you were saying, you know, you have to care about poverty. And what I also love is that, you know, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice or wherever you fall, Republican, Democrat, whatever, all of us can agree poverty is a problem, right? Yeah. And, and nobody wishes that on somebody, right? Like, yeah, you know, I hope that we're just living in poverty forever. You know what I mean? And so I love that you say like, this is this is an issue that is our issue that we need to work to make it better, you know? Right. And I and I love that, that that's what so much of Renew is focused on, is helping women break out of this life of poverty yeah. so that they, so that their baby isn't just coming into a world to just survive, but to thrive. And you talk about that in your book as well. You were saying how, um, We don't want babies to just be born and like, then like we wash our hands of it. Right. We want them to live abundantly. Would you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, the, I mean, you're, you're a mom, you know, you you know how your, how your daughters are developing, you know, Mm -hmm. like the first eight years of a child's life are so significant, you Mm -hmm. know, early childhood development. Um, And it's not just vocabulary, but it is vocabulary, emotions, emotional regulations, you know, um, um, how you deal with the world, how you see what by eight years old, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, we complain a lot about poverty. And, um, 
and we complain a lot of women, oh, you know, poor women, they're just popping out babies left and right, you know? Well, you know what? It takes more planning not to get pregnant Mm -hmm. than to get pregnant. So that's why there's so many babies. And then if we don't do anything to interrupt that pattern, you know, poverty is interrupted, you know, and that's how it ends. You know, it's a just this vicious cycle that just keeps churning out more poverty until something comes in there and halts it there for a moment. And there's an interruption of information, of education, of relationship, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so it's important that, you know, these babies are born and that, you know, that they have an abundant life and not just not abundance and money, but a quality of life mm-hmm. and hopefully abundance in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. um, I know that CareNet, the pregnancy center um, um, organization that oversees like a lot of the pregnancy centers in America, they use a phrase pro abundant life. Yes. You know? And, um, and I talk about that in my book and I, mm-hmm. I interviewed um, Roland Warren, who's the, 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 I think the president of that organization, Mm -hmm. and he talks about how we just don't want these babies to have life. We want them to have life abundant and the mother as well. Yeah. Um, And he says something beautiful. He goes, we're not just solving for heartbeats. We're solving for heartbeats that are heaven bound, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So when you, it excites me when I see the big picture and the big area of opportunity, like I get excited at, at that is just so far greater than choosing life. You yeah, know, like, like, oh, that, well, that's nice. I, I used to think that was nice. And now I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, pro abundant life. That's like, yes, that's something beyond that. And then we can assure that this life that we encourage to come into the world, um, that it's, it, it has a life that is good mm-hmm. and God honoring and, yeah. and fulfilling. And mm-hmm. it doesn't grow into a child that is, you know, emotionally unregulated. Mm-hmm you know, yeah. with the inadequate vocabulary, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, a lot of the women at my center, you know, they're, they're at a fourth grade reading level. Mm-hmm. They have a high school diploma. Yeah. Yeah. How does that happen? So how can we prevent that and have better outcome, not just a better outcome in the choice, but a better outcome in life for the long run? Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you put a lot of emphasis not just on the baby and the life that they'll have, but on the mom, right? And and, and a life that you want them to have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, honestly, I just think that Renew Life Center is so incredible in your vision, in the work that you do. And I just think that it is beautiful, honestly. You know, I love how you said, this another quote from your book, you said, saying yes to life shouldn't be a life sentence to poverty, hopelessness, and despair. But that's exactly how it feels for many women. And unless there is an intervention, that exact that's exactly what it can become. And I love that Renew can be that intervention, right? That can step in and say, hey, we can give you a third option. Like yeah. you don't have to decide, okay, I'm either going to abort my baby so that I can have a good life or I'm gonna have my baby and never get anywhere, right? Like you can have your baby and we can help you get somewhere in your life. We can help you like with education, with jobs, like, and to break this generational poverty. And I think that that's really beautiful. Thank you. I mean, it's, thank you. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome to see. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, your book, where can we get your book? Oh, well, you can get on Amazon. If you go to okay. amazon.com, life after yes, you know, um, 
a Christian approach to choosing life, navigating parenthood and overcoming poverty, because those Beautiful. are the areas that we want to, um, we want to support women in. And um, yeah, my website is renewlifecenternj.org. Okay. And um, if you do that and renewlifecenternj.org slash book, you will, you will get to the book page as well. You can read a little Perfect. bit about that. So. All right. We will link to that in the show notes, everybody. So you can just go click right there. Now, what if somebody is listening to this and they're saying, you know, I'm going to get involved. I want to help. What can they do? Oh, wow. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> My cell phone number <laughs> is 908-578-4150. That's my direct line. Perfect. We'll put it in the show notes. Seriously. Yeah. yeah. We need All right. You know, it takes a small army, you know, the old saying, it takes a village. Yeah. It takes a small army of, of Christian men and women, yeah. you know, to, to surround these families and, um, and make a difference, not just for one mother and mm-hmm. one child, but the, the change is generational. Yeah. It, it's generational. And it's such a beautiful thing to think that you just, it's not just mother and child, there's mother, child, and grandchild and great grandchild and great, great grandchild. Because once you overcome poverty, each generation just takes it up another level. Yeah. Takes it up another level. And, um, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. That's awesome. Thank you so much for the work that you do, honestly. So we like to take it out on kind of like a lighter note. Are you a TV watcher? Are you a novel reader? Right now, I'm hooked on The Chosen. Okay. Yes, we were just talking about that. That is so good. Like, you know, I have to say, I said, you know, Christian shows can be a little hokey and, you know, like, okay, it's the same story again. But I have to say they have really knocked it out the park for me. I'm, I'm hooked. That is amazing. That's funny that you just said that because we just recorded an episode with my sister-in-laws and they were saying the same thing. Yeah. My my one sister-in-law was like, I hate Christian television and movies, but I love, she's like, but I love The Chosen. So that's awesome. Uh, do you read or do you like only read like serious books for work or do you read for pleasure ever? You know what? I, I have to admit, I'm reading serious books, you yeah. know, um, a, a lot about poverty, of course. That's yeah. my that's my thing. I love um, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Oh, yes. You know, um, I love that book. And I love When Helping Hurts. Mm-hmm. Authors of that are. But, you know, it talks about helping people. You know, you can help people in a way that actually hurts them. Yes. And that's why our policy or our framework is we teach people to fish. We don't give them fish, you yes. know, we don't do for them what they can do for themselves, you know. So um, When Helping Hurts is a great um, book about, you know, serving those in needs and in a way that is productive. Yeah. For them. So, um, yeah, I got to have some fun. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. fun novel, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love it. This was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for everything that you shared. Go get her book life after yes, there's more detail in there. And hey, give her a call on her yeah. cell phone number will be linked in the show notes and help Thank get you. involved. Thank you so much, Caitlin. This was fun. Thank you. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe right now before you go. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for our next episode. You can catch So What Else anywhere you get your podcasts or at CaitlinElliott.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else. Artwork by Caroline Chicola and editing and everything else by Scott Elliott. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.